Hi everyone and welcome to Take 10 for a Torah number 726. I hope you all are well. Any questions, comments, suggestions, recommendations, or sponsorships, please email me at rabbiyismach at take10fortorah.org. So in this week's parasha, we have a very, very famous account of Moshe descending after having received the second luchot, after having won forgiveness for the sin of the golden calf. He descends from the mountain and the Torah says, Moshe. He has these two Luchos, these two tablets, when he descends from the mountain of Moshe, and Moshe had no idea that his face was radiant. That's the general translation. Now we know that this word, kikaran arpanov, sounds like the word karen, which means horn. Rashi says that the word refers to the horn or the ray of light. Uh, ray, which kind of looks like a horn, you understand the association between the two words. Rashbam says he refers to the idiots, the morons, who believe that there was some sort of actual horn that he came down with. The Rashbam says, one who says that the Karen over here is referring to the horn that we have sometimes that refers to actual literal horns, Eno Elishota is actually a fool. So what's he talking about? So he's talking about the, the classic, sometimes used in an anti-Semitic way, sometimes just used to describe Jews, this ancient idea that the Jews had horns. Now it actually doesn't make so much sense, as somebody pointed out to me this week, because as the puzzle continues over here, Moshe was obviously uh, intimidating everybody. Everybody was afraid of him, so it seems that they themselves did not have horns. So even if you thought that Moshe had a horn, what would that have to do with anybody else having horns? But that's a separate issue entirely, perhaps for another ten. But here we're talking about how the puzzle seems to imply that he had a Karen some sort of horn. The Rashbam says, no, sometimes words mean two things. It could mean a ray, it could mean a horn. Rashi says, indeed, it means just a ray. Others understand that it was nitsotsos yotsumimenu. There was sort of some sort of spark that uh, was coming out of him, which is, which is super cool. It's interesting that the Ibn Ezra has to justify a different idea, which there was a, an accusation that what this meant was that he looked almost dead. It says that Ibn Ezra quotes an opinion that was out there, a skeptical opinion, a non-so-Torah positive opinion, because he did not eat for 40 days and 40 nights, his face was like skeletal. His, uh, he was unable, he didn't really have any flesh on his face, and it looked like he had a horn, and that's why everybody was so aghast and so appalled in seeing him, and says the Ibn Ezra, that makes no sense, because, what do you mean, people had seen people who had died before, it wouldn't be so frightening to them, now obviously he would be walking, so it would be a little bit frightening, but he doesn't understand the whole idea, why would he put a cover, why would he take off the cover, as it says later, he would take off the cover when he was alone, he would take it off when he would, he would put on the cover when he was alone, he would take it off when he would teach the people, why would he have taken it off, if it was just because they were afraid of how he looked, because he was so malnourished, uh, whatever, the Ibn Ezra dismisses this idea in Entirely. But we have this very well-known idea, and also uh, Michelangelo, I guess, thought it, because in the 16th century, in the early 16th century, he does this uh, the statue, which is in a tomb in Rome, which has Moses having not just one, but two horns, which is totally not the Pshat and the Pasuk. So there's a lot of confusion over here, and the question is, what is this all about to begin with? Why does Moshe come with this radiant glow? Why does this happen? So the Cheskuni gives a few explanations, as do the other Rishonim. The first explanation that he gives, he says, you know, there's a very big difference between the first Luchos and the second Luchos. The first commandments came with the moment of revelation at Sinai. Incredible amount of miracles and thunder and lightning and all sorts of things which made it very obvious and apparent that God was behind it. The second Luchos come later 
And, you know, as other Rishonim say, nobody was really up there. Nobody went up with Moshe. Nobody knew. And so, how does one know for sure that this came from God if it doesn't have that moment of revelation stamped on it? And so, they explain, that's why he comes down face aglow. He comes down looking miraculous, holding on to these luchos, because these luchos were obviously divine and particularly significant. Another pshat that various Rishonim talk about is, it's not there to reinforce the value of the luchos, but it's there to reinforce the value of Moshe. Remember, Moshe had been replaced by the Egel Hazav. Now, I understand it's because they thought he was dead, but really Moshe as a leader, at least people thought and contemplated that Moshe could be replaced, and so this showed the specialness of Moshe, and that for the rest of his career he had this glow, and there was something about Moshe that couldn't very easily be replaced. This comes up in the conversation of him having been replaced after the Egel. So, the Amek Davar understands it a little bit differently. He says the glow comes from specifically the Torah, the Torah Shabbat Peh, the discussion of Torah. He brings a Yerushalmi that focuses on this idea that a person can glow when they learn Torah, when they're involved in Torah. And so Moshe, who was up in the mountain, he was uh, so busy with Torah for so long. That's the natural glow, the glow of joy that we have when we all learn as human beings. We learn Torah so, so much more so. Moshe learning at that level, at that state of what Torah was with that imminence to God, that was something which he uh, walked away with. And he makes it sound like a little bit more uh, explainable, a little bit more rational. Now, there are a lot of other sources that point to this glow, this Karen Arpanov. They try to figure out where it's from, particularly one Medrash which tries to explain why he received this. Why did he get this glow? Where did he get the glow from? One opinion in the Medrash is that he was in this experience that was that was described in the parsha, where he tries to see the face of God. He can only see his back. He's in the cleft of the rock, and God's hand, so to speak, passes over him, and uh, that is what gave him the glow. Others understand that the luchos were being held by God, a little bit by Moshe, and the middle was open, and that open luchos shined in some way, which I guess was sticky or contagious, and Moshe developed that glow as well. The last uh, opinion, which perhaps is the most famous opinion, is when he was writing the Torah, and not only the Luchos, but he was writing down a copy of the Torah, there was a little bit of divine ink that was left. The person who was in procurement, I guess, it seems, had a little bit of extra ink. The ink somehow dripped onto his face, and that ink caused the glow. Now, in Kabbalistic sources, we have that the Torah was written with black fire on top of white fire. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's what these sources indicate. So it has to do with some sort of light. And so this light falls on Moshe, and that's where he derives this glow. Now, of course, the very famous question is asked, why was there extra ink, right? You would imagine God would have gotten it perfect. So the answers are really, really excellent. Uh, One of the very famous answers to this question of where did the extra ink come from the first one that's given is because, remember, Moshe had said, if you don't forgive the Jews, get me out of this Torah. I don't want to be in the Torah. And we know, Parashat Tetzaveh, that we read, does indeed not have Moshe's name. It says, V'atat Tetzaveh, and you. It doesn't refer to Moshe. There's no V'yadavah Hashem and Moshe Lema. There's none of that. And so all of those references to Moshe that were not there left over some ink. And that was the ink which he ended up receiving the glow from. And the implication, therefore, is that it was a meritorious thing that he received this glow. It's because of his humility, his self-sacrifice, his willingness to give it all up for the Jewish people. That's why he walks around with this glow. Another well-known a- answer is that when he writes in Sefer Bamidbar, Midbar, Moshe Anav Ma'od, he was very, very humble. So when he spells the word humble, so he leaves out a yud. 
And so, you know, he's, I guess, trying to give off the impression that he's not quite a full anav, he's a chaser, it's missing that one vowel, and therefore that level of humility is why he merits receiving this glow. Now this idea has a little bit of halachic relevance. Now I've never seen anybody do this, but the Maharil, one of the early sources of Ashkenazic custom, had the custom that when he would get an aliyah and he would leave the bima, so he would cover his face a little bit as he was walking off, which is really interesting because he's replicating uh, this moment where Moshe is leaving Har Sinai and he is doing the same thing by covering his face because people are intimidated by the glow. Now, we have uh, sources that indicate that the moment of um, Matan Torah is represented, the giving of the Torah is represented at the moment that we read the Torah. And uh, many uh, sources, the Levush examples brought in the Mishnah Brura, talk about how there is definitely supposed to be three people up there. There are supposed to be uh, somebody representing God up at the Bima when we practically read the uh, Torah reading. One person is supposed to be God, one person is supposed to be up there as the Bnei Israel, and one person is supposed to be Moshe, the one who sort of is the uh, real estate agent who's transacting the deal between God and the Jewish people. So there's supposed to be three people. The Gabai is God. Uh, I don't want any Gabayim to take this the wrong way, but you're not really God. The Gabai represents God, and the Ola, the person who gets the Eli, represents the Bnei Yisrael, and Moshe is represented by the person in the middle. And so it's interesting that the Maharil understood that when the person who gets the Eli goes down, he's sort of like Moshe. He's going down and covering his face, which is also double interesting, because what do we usually say to a person? Yashar Kochacha. That's what we say to a person who gets an Aliyah. Now that comes from the first Luchos, where Moshe destroys, he breaks the luchos, and God says, Yashar koach sheshibarte, that phrase comes from the first story of the luchos, and this comes from the second. In any event, this moment was there to illustrate the importance of the luchos, the importance of Moshe, the merit of Moshe. If you want to cover your face because you feel a special glow having gotten an aliyah, go for it. I can't imagine anybody will notice or even complain. Have a great day.